Welcome to Movement Online. We're so grateful that you're joining us this weekend. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt Labby. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Movement Church, and we're continuing our collection of talks called Unshakable. It's all about how God teaches us stability in shaky times. And so today I'm excited. If you got a pen, go ahead and write down the title of today's talk, which is When I Don't Feel Unshakable. When I Don't Feel Unshakable. You see, I think that every single one of us has mountaintop moments in our lives and has valley moments. For me, as I think about some mountaintop moments in my own life, I think about when we launched Movement Church. It was an incredible experience where we had to be faith-filled as we stepped out into what God called us to do. And so as we were ready to launch, we had a very short amount of time to be able to raise the finances to launch. And as we did that, there were a number of situations where God came through in amazing ways. I remember one situation in particular that it was right after we had shared some of the vision of what God was going to do at Movement Church. And we were kind of talking with people after the service, and there was uh, one particular couple that came up to us. They let us know that God had been working in their heart, encouraging them to give to what God was doing at Movement. And so they handed us this envelope. Now, in the moment, we just said thank you. We gave them a hug. And then, in all honesty, we kind of scuttled out to our car as fast as we could, wondering how God had provided for us. As we opened up the envelope, what we found inside was $5,000. It was one of those moments that I look back and I'm like, man, God, you are so good. And God was so faithful to provide for us financially that we actually got over and above what we had asked for. And it was amazing to be able to see God in one of those mountaintop moments. I wish I could tell you that every single moment in ministry has been a mountaintop. But in all honesty, there have been times where I've been disappointed. There have been times where somebody has said something to me where I thought that they were in it for the long haul. I thought that they were right alongside of me and it turns out where they weren't. There have been moments where I've wondered where God was in the midst of a circumstance or a situation. There have been times where I've even kind of sat in bed at night and I've wondered, God, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. You see, what I've realized is in ministry, there are mountaintops and there are valleys. And that's not only true of ministry, but that's true of your life and of my life as well. That right now, I think we're experiencing a difficult season. But my guess is that you've had moments that you look back on and you're like, man, that was a mountaintop moment. They're the Instagram moments. You know, they're the vacation that you went on. They're the, the raise that you get. They're the moment that you get with your spouse that just feels like a sweet moment of connection. And then there are valley moments. Maybe right now you're experiencing what you would consider a valley moment. It's the moment when you're praying and and you're praying for God to heal somebody that you love and you're not sure if he's going to come through and heal them. It's the struggle with faith and and you're wondering in the struggle of your circumstance how God is going to be able to come through. It's, It's that moment that you lost your job. And it's that valley moment where we begin to wonder, God, where are you and what are you doing? You see, I believe that God is as much on the mountaintop as he is in the valley. And today we're going to talk about when I don't feel unshakable. When maybe you're in the middle of a valley moment and you're saying, God, I don't know where you are right now. What do you do when you don't feel unshakable? You see, you and I aren't the first group of people to struggle with that moment. As a matter of fact, there's a guy in 1 Kings chapter 19. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, his name is Elijah. 
Elijah is an incredible figure throughout all of Christian history. As a matter of fact, what we see is that Jesus, in this moment, goes up on a mountain. It's called the Mountain of Transfiguration. And what we see is when Jesus is transfigured, there are two people who come down next to him. The first one is Moses, the one who gave the law to the nation of Israel. The second one is Elijah. And so you'd think if there was ever a circumstance or a situation, a person who would not struggle with a time when they felt unshakable or when they felt shakable, you would think that it would be Elijah. However, when we come to 1 Kings chapter 19, we see Elijah in a totally different light. Here's the story. It's, it's so crazy. So we see that there's this nation of Israelites. It's the chosen people of God. And at some point along the journey, this group of people has decided that instead of trusting in God as their leader, they began to look at the nations around them and they noticed everybody else had kings. And so they ask, can we have a king too? So God gives them a king. What we notice is that a king is supposed to be somebody who leads this nation of Israel into greater worship of God. But time and time again, these kings fall. As a matter of fact, throughout first and second kings, only eight out of 40 kings remain faithful to God. And so alongside kings, God sends these rough ragtag band of guys named prophets. Elijah is a prophet. He's somebody who speaks for God. He keeps kings in line. And what we see is that there is the evil king and queen, Ahab and Jezebel. And they begin to lead their people in the worship of another God whose name is Baal. What we see is that Baal's just this horrible deity that actually a way that you worship him is through temple prostitution and through human sacrifice. And so Elijah's like, no way. So you'll, you'll get this. Okay, so, so in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah has a showdown with the prophets of Baal. What we see is that he says, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to see which God is for real. And so if it's Baal, then what's going to happen is we're going to have these sacrifices and whichever God consumes the sacrifice first is the true God. So if it's Baal, we'll worship him. If it's the God Yahweh, we'll worship him. What we see is in a moment, God consumes the sacrifice. They go and they execute all the prophets of Baal. This is like a crazy moment. Elijah then goes and he prays for rain, which has not fell upon the land for three years. And it's on the heels of this situation that we see Elijah's lowest moment. So let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. Here's what happens. It says this. It says, Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there, but went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and get this, if there's ever a low point, this is probably the low point. He sits down under a broom tree and here's what it says. He prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough. Lord, take my life for I'm no better than my father's. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. Then he looked and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. 
He said, get up and eat or the journey will be too much for you. So Elijah got up, ate and drank. Then on the strength from the food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. He entered a cave there and spent the night. What we see in this narrative is that Elijah in this moment is between two mountains. Anyone ever experienced one of those moments before? You see, what happens is he's between the mountain of Carmel, where he sees God do this amazing work, and the mountain of Horeb, where God actually whispers to him in the wind. And it's in the in-between that we see Elijah struggle. So much so that a a few scholars have actually said that they think Elijah is manic-depressive. Can you believe that? They say he goes from such a high to such a low that he must have had some sort of emotional struggle. But in my opinion... He was simply experiencing the motion of emotion. Have you ever felt that? Just simply the motion of emotion where in a moment you'll go from feeling like God is so good and that everything in life is going so well only to a few moments later wondering, God, where are you? And maybe even wanting to pray the same kind of prayer that Elijah did of like, just let me die. Talk about ultimate drama, right? And so Elijah is in this moment between two mountains in the valley. Question is, what do you do when you don't feel unshakable? What do you do do when you're in the valley moment? If we're going to be honest, maybe for some of us, what we do is we go back to our old way of life. We kind of leave and say, God, if if you were real, then I I would imagine that you'd be in this situation. Some of us, we simply say, you know what, I'm going to go back to my old lifestyle. Some of us, we, we actually just begin to doubt our faith and say, maybe God wasn't real all along. Maybe I tricked myself into believing that this could actually be true. Some of us wonder, God, are you actually good? But I think in this narrative, what we find is a pathway through the valley. What, what we find are three different ways that we're able to discover what it looks like when I don't feel unshakable. How do I connect with God? The question is, when we come to those seasons, to those times in our life where we're wondering and we're in the valley, I think we need to come to it and we need to understand this one thing. If you want to go ahead and write this down in your notes, I think this is going to be a powerful phrase that we can actually speak over ourselves, that we can remind ourselves of, and it's this. When I don't feel unshakable, I will experience my emotions, but I will remember that my emotions are not my full experience. I want to unpack a little bit more about what that looks like. And so let's go ahead and take a closer look. When I don't feel unshakable, I will experience my emotions, but I will recognize that emotions are not my full experience. And I think it's important that there are a couple of different ways that we can view the world, view the way that we make decisions, view our lives. And I think that this would be helpful in us understanding when we are in those valley moments or when we're in a mountaintop moment, how to be able to process through the events of life. So the first way that we can process through the events of life is solely through the lens of experience. These are our emotions about how we've processed through the world. These are uh, the events that have happened to us in our lives. And we view different things through the lens of our experience. So we view life, we view our decisions, we view our values, our priorities, and our faith all through the lens of experience. Now, there's another way that we can view the events that happen to us in our lives. When we realize that our experience are, are not just our emotions, but that we can actually utilize another lens through which to view decisions and experiences that happen to us in our lives. 
The second way that we can do it is when we recognize that there are four different circles. Now the first three are overlapping concentric circles. The first circle that we're going to have is the lens of experience. These are what we in and of ourselves have experienced of life. They're the emotions that you and I go through. They are the rhythms of our own life that we have encountered. Then there's the lens of tradition that we notice that it's not only you and I that have gone through these experiences before, that have gone through the valleys before, but that actually there are 2,000 years of church history, of tradition that actually guides us and leads us. I think that this is actually a part of our lives that many times you and I might remain unconnected with. Then the third circle is reason, that we use our logic, we use our reason to be able to understand what is happening in the world around us and understand the events of our lives. But most importantly, we recognize that scripture is over all of these and that scripture has the final authority in our lives. What this does is this helps us be able to recognize that when we do go through hard times, that we have four different lenses through which we view those experiences, those events of our lives. I believe this is so helpful because when we do go through a difficult event or when we do go through um, a season that has been difficult for us, when we go through the valley, we recognize that, yeah, we will experience our emotions, but emotions are not our full experience. And it's when we see reason, tradition, experience, and scripture, and we view through those lenses that we're actually able to see our lives much more clearly. So when we look at our experiences, we understand that our emotions, we will always experience our emotions, but our emotions are not our full experience. So the question is then, what does it look like for us to continue forward in our journey that God has called us on in those moments when we don't feel unshakable? What's the pathway through the valley? And so let's come back to our text because I think there are some things that we can really learn from what God is teaching us through Elijah's experience. The first thing, if you want to go ahead and write this down in your notes that we see from Elijah's experience is he stops to pray. He stops to pray. Now let's go to our text. Here's what he says in verse five. It says that he has, he sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough. Lord, take my life for I'm no better than my father's. Now, I just want to notice this for a moment with you, that this prayer was not really spiritual. Like, I think that if we look back on it, we would say it's not even really admirable. As a matter of fact, if one of y'all were to sit down across from me, if you were to pray this prayer, I think that maybe I would recommend a couple of different counselors that I think might help you through this situation. But I think it's so important that we recognize that prayer is the first step through the pathway through the valley. You see, this prayer was what I would call a simple prayer. It's a prayer of absolute honesty. Sometimes I think we come to our relationship with God when we're in the valley and we feel like we need to pray and have some certain, certain uh, type of religious language that we would use before God. When in reality, what we see Elijah doing is he just brings his simple prayer. It uh, reminds me when Holly, my wife and I, we were in college together and it, over the summers, we would take our breaks apart. And so she would be in Michigan and I would be in Maine and we would start off with these phone calls. And if I can be totally honest with you, I remember the first uh, number of times that I would be on the phone with her. It was really 
awkward. Not because I was uncomfortable talking to her, but because being on the phone is just something I'm not naturally really great at. And, uh, and I remember those first few interactions with her on the phone. It was almost like I was trying to figure out how to talk to her again in a new way. For some of you, as you pray, I want to just give you permission that if it feels uncomfortable, that's okay. If it feels a little bit awkward at first, that's totally all right. What God is asking for is not some sort of poetic form that we would bring before him. He's asking for a simple prayer. You see, when it comes to prayer, God is really more concerned about our heart than our words. And it's about us intentionally communicating with him. So I want to give you something really practical. That in the moments when I'm kind of processing through something, here's what I do. Many times what will happen is I'll actually go away for a little while so that I can be someplace alone. Many times it involves a sauna. I don't know why, but I just love being able to sit alone. And what I'll do is I'll imagine Jesus right there alongside of me. I'm going to be 100% honest. What I do is I just start talking. I'll just continue talking until I run out of words. When I run out of words, I stop talking. And then when I start thinking more words, I'll start talking again. And it's as easy as that, coming back over and over again and pouring our hearts out before God in simple prayer. You see, what God longs for during this season is that we would actually be in communication with Him, that we would be talking to Him and that we'd be finding our comfort, not in the situation around us and in the people and circumstances around us, but simply in Him. And so when we come to God, we understand that in the valley, we just simply offer up a simple prayer. Maybe that's what God is calling you to do this week, that as you're looking at the situations around you and the challenges in front of you, that you simply offer to Him a simple prayer. You're going to take 15 minutes throughout the day today, and you're just going to go on a walk, and you're going to start saying stuff. You're going to start talking out loud. You're going to feel like a crazy person, but know that that is okay, because what God wants is a simple prayer that you'd be connected to him. That's the first step in making it through the valley. The second thing that we see in making it through the valley is found in verse five. Here's what it says. It says, Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him. The angel told him, Get up and eat. Now, I'm going to give you permission to laugh at this, but I think what this teaches us is that we need to pause. And most of the time, what pause means is that we need to sleep and eat. That many times we find ourselves in the lowest valley because we haven't taken care of ourselves. And it's in that moment of pausing that we see Elijah do these two very simple things. We see him sleep and we see him eat. You see, I think it's in the pause that we recognize that God is in control. All throughout the Bible, we see this idea of Sabbath. A Sabbath rest. And a Sabbath rest is recognizing that in the chaos and hurry of life that so often I try to control the situation and circumstances around me. And what Sabbath rest does is it makes me pause. Remember that I'm not in control, but that I belong to a God who is. I've been studying Psalm chapter 46. And one of the things that it says is that God is our refuge. And I think when we recognize that God is our refuge, we can pause and we can be unshakable because our foundations are found in Him. Our Sabbath rest is found in Him. I want to tell you maybe one of the most spiritual things that you can do today is to simply take care of yourself, to take a nap, to eat something that actually nourishes your body. 
As we look at the world around us, I think it's so easy to just continue to go on autopilot, just, just trying to do more. And especially in the situation where we feel like we can't control, we just end up trying to do more and, and strive harder. And Jesus, I think for many of us, is simply saying, pause. Pause and take a Sabbath. I, there's this truth that I think is so true that many times we'll try to do more. But I want you to remember this, that the only thing that you bring into every situation is you. And so the best thing you can bring into any situation is a healthy you. That means the best thing you can bring to your family is a healthy you. The best thing you can bring to your work is a healthy you. And so what that means is there are moments when we need to simply pause, to Sabbath, to rest, and to understand that it's God who does the work. I love that what we see in this narrative with Elijah is that God is the one who nourishes Elijah back, that he actually sends this angel to take care of him. Can I tell you that it's in the moments of pause where God wants to feed your soul? And before we even like move on, I, I, I in so many ways don't want to over-spiritualize this text because can you believe that an angel showed up and actually took care of Elijah? That these are actually narratives that happen that Elijah went through in his journey and God still moves and works today. That it might have been an, an angel that took care of Elijah then, but here's what Jesus says. Jesus says that he's going to leave and when he leaves that he's going to send a comforter. That an angel might, might have taken care of Elijah, but it is the very Spirit of God who will take care of and restore you. This week, take a moment to pause, to Sabbath rest, to be with Jesus, and to allow Him to be the one that nourishes your soul. So the first thing that we do is we pray. The second thing we do in the valley is that we pause. And the third thing that we do is found next. Here's what happens in verse 6. It says, Then he looked, and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. I love that again. Just emphasizing again that he napped and he ate some more. Then it says, The angel of God returned for a second time and touched him. He said, Get up and eat, or the journey will be too much for you. So Elijah got up, ate, and drank. Here's the last one. Then on the strength from the food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. He entered a cave there and spent the night. The last thing is that we persist. That when we pray, when we pause, the last thing that we're called to do is to persist. You see, I think that many times what we want to do is we want to skip over the 40 days and 40 nights. But it's really crazy, actually. Throughout the biblical narrative, I would love every time you see 40, it's kind of like this intermission. It's this, it's this waiting for God to show you what's next. That we actually see that Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights with God. We see that Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. We see that the Israelites wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. And we see Elijah for 40 days and 40 nights. And what was he called to do over that journey besides persist? I think many times you and I, we get tired in the valley and sometimes we don't want to continue to persevere, but God in those moments is calling us to persistence. So as we look at all of these situations surrounding us, know that when we're called to persistence, the reason why is because it's a reminder that we're a part of God's story. 
Can I tell you today that God is writing a story and he's inviting you to be a part of it. In those 40 days and 40 nights, he's saying, listen, I want you to rely on me more than you rely on self. I want you to rely on me more than you rely on the situation and circumstances around you. I want you to rely on me more than anything else in the world. And in the 40 days and 40 nights, he's teaching us reliance on himself. So as they look in between the mountains and the valley, there are three things that God calls us to do during that season, to pray, to pause, and to persist. Listen, what you'll notice is that it's after Elijah's greatest moment that he experiences his lowest valley. That in the same way that he was combating the idols of his time, that for you and for me, as we combat against the idols of our time and the idols in our life, the enemy is going to want to attack us. That it actually says in the Bible that we don't uh, battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. What that means is the moment that you take a step forward, what the enemy is going to want to do is have you take a step back. But it's in those moments that we need to recognize that God is doing something, that he's called us to more and that that's evidence that we're on the right track because the enemy is starting to bring resistance against the way that God is bringing us to what he is calling us to in our lives. So I want to let you know today if you're experiencing resistance, if you're experiencing the valley, press into what God is doing. Don't give up but instead continue to look for what God is calling you to do. Pray, pause, and persist. As we're in the middle of this campaign, we're, we're encouraging people in the 24-7 challenge. It's this desire to say, what would it look like if the people of God persisted in their spiritual life by pausing and praying? What would it look like if we as a group of people would spend 24 minutes a day, seven days a week for 30 days pursuing God, consistently looking for Him? What would it look like that, that He would change your life, that He would change the church? You see, it's all about us pursuing God. What we see is that Jesus was ultimately the, the one who persisted in the wilderness, that he actually for 40 days and 40 nights resisted the enemy and he came through the other side. And what we see is that Jesus died for you and for me so that we could have that right relationship with God. What we see is that Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. He went through the darkest valley as he was separated and broken in that relationship with God as he experienced the fullness of the weight of our sin on his shoulders. And it was because of that that every one of us can now persevere because he's given us his spirit. And so I think the most important thing is to recognize is this. If you feel like you're in the valley and if you haven't yet given your life to Jesus, if you haven't yet said yes to him, make today your day. Give your life to him in the valley. And he says that he will mold you and shape you, make you a new creation, put his spirit inside of you, and you get to spend eternity with Jesus. For each one of us today, I believe that God is calling us to pray, to pause, to persist. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we're so grateful that we get to be a part of this story that you are molding together. That God, I pray that as we look and, and there are the moments that we don't feel unshakable. In those moments when we don't feel unshakable, God, I pray that we would understand that we will experience our emotions, but our emotions are not our full experience. Father, I pray that in those moments of the valley that we would see you in a new way. That God, we would rely on you in a new way. That we would have Sabbath rest with you. And that Father, we would know that no matter what comes our way, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. 
I pray if there's anyone listening today and if they haven't yet given their life to you and it, it's felt like they've been in a valley, it's felt like they have wanted more, that they've needed more, Father, I pray that they would give their life to you by praying this prayer. God, I know that I was created for a relationship with you. I know that um, I've sinned, but I believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins and I commit to follow him all the days of my life. God, I pray that you'd restore them, that you would give them new life in you. And Father, today we're so grateful for all that you're doing. We love that we get your word. And God, we are nursed by it each and every day. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to step out boldly as you have called us. In Jesus' name, amen.